0: Um, well, good morning again and if, uh, if you are new with us and through that reading you're going what on earth is going on here can I assure you that you're, you're feeling very much like the regulars I feel uh, if you're thinking yikes, is that what the Bible is all like no, not much of it there are indeed sections for the next four weeks we're going to be in sections like this and there are others in the Bible but uh, not much of the Bible is written like this that said, it has some fantastic things for us in it, and I trust in half an hour or so actually we're going to see that it has a really important message, and it has said that message in actually a really helpful way uh, for us. But let me, do, let me pray though and ask for God's help um, as we do come to it. Father God, we do thank you for your word, all of it, uh, each part, thank you that it is useful for us. And Father, as we Seek to grapple, though, with complicated images like these. Please do help us. Would your spirit teach us that we would learn what you would have us to learn and that that would impact our lives? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I've probably mentioned this before, but but I simply don't understand people who, when they're reading a book or watching a film or whatever, and they skip to the end, They want to know the ending, I just don't understand it. That said, having a wife who is one of those people, I have tried to understand it. I think what it is, is that when things get tense and worrying, people like to know how it's going to end. knowing Knowing that they will make it out alive, that the baddies get beaten, that everything's going to be okay. Well, when we know the end, then that... Helps get through the, the hard bits, the painful bits. And I think that is what is going on in Daniel chapter 7. We're being told that God's people are going to go through some really hard things, but there is an end in sight when all will be put right. And we're given a glimpse of this ending to help us in the presence when things. Are hard. In Daniel chapter 7, we're entering this second half of the book, but the message of the second half is the message of the first half that God is in control of all, that He sets up kingdoms and brings them down, and He is going to establish His forever kingdom. Same message, first half, second half. But it does so in this apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature is speaking of things of the future through rich imagery and pictures. And so I want to, I guess, explain how I'm going to approach this second half of the book. And I guess it's my advice to you when you come to apocalyptic literature. Stick to the big picture. Stick to the big picture and you'll be on safe grounds. What do I mean by that? The, the, the great strength of this type of literature, of this rich imagery, is that it communicates truth with us, actually, great force and feeling. But it's limitation, or well, it's not even its limitation, it's just what, what it is. But it's not precise. Okay? So, so let me illustrate. Okay, I'm going to explain a dog to you. A dog, right? Uh, I'm going to do, do it in two ways, no, no, first way, this dog it has four legs which each measure about 43 centimetres in length the fur is predominantly grey which is hex colour E8E8E8 E8, with tinges of near black 0C, uh, sorry, OCOB13, its open mouth contains 42 teeth it makes a loud bark which comes out at 110 decibels. It has a mes- metal chain with 236 links keeping it from escaping, and it stood next to a cat. That is one way of communicating a dog to you. Let me do it another way. That was very precise, wasn't it, by the way? Uh, but, but lacked kind of feeling. Compare that with this. The pale beast strained with every inch of its being to escape the leash in order to devour the cat which it towered over. Buckets of saliva escaped its snarling mouth alongside harrowing barks which could be heard 100 miles away. Very diff- same, same picture, or same thing, communicated in very different ways. Much more force, lacks the precision. And that's what this literature, that's how it works. It helps us to feel the power of what's being said. But it's n- and it's true, but it's not precise. And so when we come to these images... We need to be wary of pushing too hard at trying to be too precise. Now, that's not to say the details don't matter. They do, and that's what gives it its its richness. But let's have the big picture help us understand the details. With that in mind, the big picture. What is the big picture, the big idea of Daniel chapter 7? Well, actually, wonderfully, it's not hard to work out. We're told... Having had this strange dream and visions, Daniel asks what it means. And he's told, he's given the interpretation. Have a look at verse 17 and 18 with me. These four great beasts, that Daniel was seen, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. Okay, four kingdoms, terrifying king's kingdoms, but God's people are going to be part of this forever kingdom. That's what this vision is about. And we've uh, expressed that in the two points that I've put on your sheet and I'll put up here, and and that's how we're going to explore this uh, chapter together. So firstly, earthly kingdoms mean life can be scary. That's the first thing this chapter is going to teach us. Earthly kingdoms mean life can be scary. Uh, just before we get started, I also want to say, I'm deliberately not using pictures on, on the screens. Okay? Uh, I'm deliberately not doing that because inevitably they're going to be illustrations and kind of end up a bit cartoony and they, they lose their power. And I think our imaginations can do a better job. But So kind of work with me here. Right? So as we're reading, we're we'll looking at these, imagine them. Feel the the, the force. Imagine yourself as Daniel dreaming them. But Daniel's dream starts in ominous uh, fashion. So four beasts they come out from, come up from sea, and in the Bible and indeed other kind of uh, literature, the the sea stands for disorder, for danger, for chaos. So immediately, we're, we're kind of worried. They're coming up from the sea. And the first beast, in verse 4, the first was like a lion, and it had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, the wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up uh, from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Okay, lion, eagle, royal images. Yeah, king, king, of, the, king of the jungle, king of the land, king of the sky. Royal, royal pictures, verse 5. And behold, this another beast, number two, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. Verocious. Already, already chomping on some ribs, even before it's given this mandate to go and devour flesh. Third, And verse 6, after this, and behold another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Here the emphasis, I think, on speed, you know, a leopard, and it's given wings, fast. But this beast has four heads, but dominion power is given to it. And then the fourth kingdom, it it's kind of stands by itself a little bit. It's differentiated from the others. So, for example, we're not told that it looked like, you know, it appeared as a lion, as a We're not told this looked like an animal. Rather, verse 7 After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces. It stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. So this one is particularly fierce, particularly dangerous. And the dream goes on in verse 8, talking of the, the horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, which... Three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. Horns, again, often in the Bible symbolizing strength. It has these 10 horns, and, and this, but this one that uproots three others,'s got eyes, intelligence, and it's a boastful mouth speaking these big things. This is a nightmare. These these beasts are not like you know looking at a tiger in the zoo. When you, you do it through a kind of a, a screen, and so you kind of get the fear of Yikes there's this really powerful animal just the other side there, but I'm safe. Now, this is jumping into shark-infested water with a gaping wound. It is scary pictures, terrifying. And we're right to be afraid. Because in the second half of, of the chapter, um, in verse uh, 19, Daniel asks for more information. And he's told a little bit more here. So look, have a look at verse 21. And this is particularly looking at the horn that has come up out of the last beast. Verse 21, and as I look, this horn made war with the saints. Saints just stands for God's people. He made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Verse 25, he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. No wonder then that twice in this chapter, verse 15 and verse 28, we're told Daniel's reaction and we're told he was anxious and alarmed and he was alarmed and his his colour changed. I don't know, pale and green, I don't know. Daniel sees that these kings, these kingdoms, these power-hungry, vicious, oppressive kings and kingdoms are going to dominate the world. And some will particularly focus their wickedness towards the saints, God's people. Now, what are we to understand of these fearful beasts? What are are we to make of them? How are we to interpret them? Well, similarities, as Ken has drawn attention to, um, with Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2, when he had that um, uh, vision of this this, uh, big statue with those four parts. And once again, kind of commonly understood as the um, Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom and kingdom and the Roman kingdom, Roman Empire, and you can make a very good case for that. So, verse four, if you look at verse four, there are echoes of Nebuchadnezzar's humbling and restoration in chapter four. You know, he's given the mind of a man and set up again. In verse five, we see the bear is raised up on one side. Don't know exactly what that means, but kind of raised up, perhaps one side bigger than the other and indeed of the Medo-Persian Empire, that the Persian Empire was the dominant side in that. And verse 6, the the speed of that beast, it is indicative of the speed of which Alexander the Great conquered the, the world, and after Alexander's death was split into four kingdoms, four heads. The fourth, you can make the point, I would argue it's probably slightly less clear there. So it may be that Daniel did was meant to understood these things as those four kingdoms. But I'm reluctant to be definite on that. One is because of this kind of um, apocalyptic literature. So the number four, for example, can symbolise the the four corners of the earth. So I don't know if you notice it, just in verse two, um, Daniel uh, declared, I saw in my vision of the night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. So the four winds of heaven, like kind of north, south, east, and west. So four can just be a kind of global picture. And secondly, in chapter 8, Daniel does indeed identify an image with a kingdom. So he can do it, but he doesn't here. So perhaps we shouldn't be too strong in doing so. Perhaps most of all is, is Revelation 13, maybe look it up later, but in Revelation 13 we read of another beast coming up out of the sea. And this beast is a picture, it kind of, um, uh, gathers all these four beasts together in one. We see these ca- characteristics come together. And so again, perhaps we're meant to see these four kingdoms as, as kind of one entity. Uh, as represent, not as one entity, as, as representative of the kingdom's of the earth kingdoms that war to get what they want abuse their power and are hostile to God's people now that is certainly true of the Babylonians, Medo-Persians Greek, Roman empires but hasn't this been the case over history for the last 2,700 years? You don't have to know much about history to know that that is true we see it now Russia, North Korea, Afghanistan, Syria, Yemen, Ethiopia, and I could go on and on and on. And the places where Christians risk their freedom, if not their lives, because of their faith. Pakistan, Egypt, Iran, Turkey, and many others. Here in the UK, hostility is much more masked and restrained but there are increasingly laws which make it dangerous to stand on uh, the bible's teaching on various matters look it's scary just reading the things on the news that are going on in this world but again imagine what it was like what it is like for Christians in those countries and it was scary for God's people in babylon too And this dream was to prepare them for it. God wants them, wants us to know what life will be like. The realities of what living in earthly kingdoms will be. I think it's interesting that this vision didn't come until the first year of Belshazzar. So each of these four visions are actually placed in the history. So from verse 1 we see this is the first year of Belshazzar. Uh, And you can imagine, right, God's people thinking, okay, the king who has conquered us, Nebuchadnezzar, he's died. Excellent. This is going to be a change in our fortunes. Or it could be, but no, Belshazzar was a wicked and foolish king. And soon, the whole Babylonian empire was going to come to an end. Hey, fantastic. Surely things are going to change. And yes, they do get brought back out of exile. But no, it doesn't really change. They're under a different hostile enemy. You see, we look at the the world leaders of today, I look at some of the world leaders today, and do I want them to be changed? Yes. But will it change anything? Yes and no. Someone else in those countries or in other countries will rise up, and the pattern will go on and on. Earthly kingdoms mean that life is scary. And different earthly kingdoms won't help. Not really. Only a heavenly kingdom can bring real change. And so here's the second point. The everlasting kingdom brings comfort. Verses 1 to 8, the picture of those terrifying kingdoms. And in verse 9, we get this new scene where we see God as judge. Have a look at it with me, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. The ancient of days. Now our society is obsessed with youth, right? So it, that man's ancient to really be like really old, real frail. That's not what's going on here. This is wisdom, gravitas, eternity. So before these kingdoms came up of the out, came up from the sea, the ancient of days was there. Ancient of days, his clothing, his hair was white, purity. Throne was fiery, his righteousness, his perfection. He served by mass multitudes, and he sits down to judge. And like that, the kingdom's come to abrupt end. Verse 11. And I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season at a time. If we weren't so terrified of the beasts, we'd almost feel like it was a bit of an anticlimax. There's no great battle befitting of an end of a Marvel film. Good versus evil, struggling against each other. No. God sits down, he judges, and it's done. The beast is destroyed, the other kingdoms have their power removed. To kind of refer to another, another film, the Indiana Jones films. I can't remember which one, one of the old ones. But there's a moment in one of them where Indiana Jones is confronted by a sword wielding enemy who kind of does some amazing moves and, and whirls their sword around it. And it's terrifying. And then all of a sudden, Indiana Jones just goes and poof, takes out his gun and shoots it. And it's a. There we go, Raids of the Lost Ark. Thank you. I think that's the kind of picture we get hit. These are terrifying things, but to God, they're nothing. Just like that. It's not an anticlimax. It is sweet relief. God is judge over the nations. He will judge the kingdoms of our world and will be triumphant over evil. But at the judgment, not only will power be removed from these wicked kingdoms, it is given to another. Daniel's vision carries on in verse 13. One like a son of man, which means he looked like, looked like a man. He had the appearance of a man. And yet, at the same time, the image shouts God at us. Because you have one like the son of man coming on clouds of heaven. Throughout the Bible, the clouds um, of heaven are linked to God himself. A God's chariot, as it were. So we have this God-man coming. Presented before the ancients of days, and he is given dominion and glory and a kingdom and a kingdom that will never end, an everlasting kingdom. Now, Daniel was probably quite confused at this stage because you're saying, Look, surely no one but God Himself should have this authority, this glory, this service and worship. Surely no one but God. But if you know your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, well, you know that Jesus' favourite title for himself was the Son of Man. Time and again, he refers to himself as the Son of Man, pointing back to this picture here. Jesus, when speaking of his second coming, his return that awaits us, he alludes to these verses. So he says in Mark um, chapter 13, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds and with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. See, after the destruction of the beasts, Jesus will be fully and finally enthroned on his kingdom. How can we be sure? How can we be sure of, of that? what we're looking forward to there? Well, well, firstly, we have this prophecy here, and God's word comes true. But, but more than that, we know that actually at Jesus' first coming, he did everything necessary to establish his kingdom, and indeed, he defeated evil. You see, Jesus didn't just refer to himself as the Son of Man in contact with his return, but actually he did it in connection with his death and resurrection. So Mark 8 um, 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again." And then the next one, in Mark chapter 10 verse 45, "For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." The Son of Man came to die on the cross to sacrifice himself so that others may have life, so that others would have entrance to this kingdom. And what did Jesus say uh, to his disciples after his resurrection? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. After his resurrection, he was given this authority, and he has ascended to heaven where he is ruling over all. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has made a way so that people of any earthly nation can enter his eternal kingdom. And again, the question, the most important fundamental question for us is, are you in that kingdom? Are you in that kingdom that will last forever? The way to it is to come to Jesus and to say sorry for living your life in rebellion against him and for yourself and to ask for entrance into this kingdom. Are you in? Come to Jesus now. Because, and here's the even more remarkable thing for God's people in a scary world, is it gets even better. So let's look at the fuller description, the second half, of these events. Verse 26. So it's same scene. But the court will sit in judgment, and his dominion, that's the dominion of the horn, will be taken away and be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom... And the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the Son of Man. No, nope. shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. To be in this kingdom simply as Jesus' subjects would be great enough. But the picture we see here and affirmed elsewhere in the Bible is that no, it's more that through him, through what he has done, we share in his kingdom and dominion. What an ending for God's people. And So brothers and sisters, be comforted When we watch the news and we see ruthless leaders seemingly prospering, when they use their power for evil, when war is made upon the church of the most high God, we remember Daniel chapter seven. We're not surprised. This is the pattern of the world in which we live. And we are comforted because we know that they are not going to last forever we're given this glimpse into the the end of things. This is the end of the story. Jesus and his saints with him receiving an eternal kingdom. This is what we look forward to. We know that is the end, which means we can keep going now as we wait for it. Let's pray. Most high God, we thank you that the big, terrifying things that are happening in our world that are so overwhelming to us, yet they are not to you. And we thank you that we look forward to Jesus' kingdom being finally and fully established. Thank you for that great news that we can await. Father, please keep our eyes fixed on that in the midst of pain and, and fear, trusting you that you will bring us there. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen.